0: Okay, welcome everyone. Okay, the the Magin of Ram in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch in Siman Tuf Tzadi Daled, asks the following question. as we say in Davening and Shavuos, we call Shavuos it Matan Torateinu. Says the Magen of Ram, how can we call it Zman Matan Torateinu? Because in the Gemara and Shabbos over adapting Pei and Pei it's clear in the Gemara that, at least according to the dominant opinion in Chazal, the timing of Shavuos was not actually the same timing as, not as the time of Matan Torah. According to the Gemara, Yetzias Mitzrayim took place on a Thursday, and Matan Torah took place on a Shabbos, which means that it was not 50 days later, but 51 days later. Shavuos, is, in the Torah says, in Vayikra, Perk Chaf Gimel, which we'll read soon inside, The Torah says to do it on the 50th day after the first day of Pesach. So it's a day off. The calculation is a day off. Nowadays, of course, we always have Shavuos on a fixed date, the sixth day of Sivan. But not only was that not always so, before we had a luach and the Rosh Chodesh was determined by the moon, so Shavuos could have uh, have fallen on one of several days. But also, according to that Gemara, at least according to one opinion in Chazal, Matan Torah was not on the 6th of Sivan, but rather on the 7th of Sivan. (coughs) So neither the date nor the number of days after the first day of Pesach fit between Shavuos and the time of Matan Torah. So how do we say, asks the Magan Abraham, how do we say in Davening that Shavuos is Zman Matan Torah Now before I mention the answers that the Magan Abraham suggests, let's point out what the Magan Abraham did not ask. Right, the Magan of Ram did not ask how is it possible for Shavuos to actually be on a time which is not fit with Matan Torah. He only asked how is it possible that we say in davening Zman Matan Torah Why did the Magan of Ram not ask about the time of Shavuos itself? Because as the Magan of Ram was certainly aware, if you look in the Psukim in the Torah that talk about Shavuos, it says nowhere in the Torah that Shavuos is Zman Matan Torah. Both in Parshas Emor, which talks about the timing of Shavuos, and in other places where Shavuos is mentioned, Shavuos is not connected in any way to Matan Torah. Shavuos is called Chag HaKatzir, it's called Yom HaBikurim. All of the names and the descriptions that we have about Shavuos are all connected to the agricultural aspect of Shavuos, not to the historical aspect of Shavuos. It's often said that all of the Chagim have both a historical and an agricultural aspect. Okay, it's not strictly true. Okay, Pesach has primarily a historical background, very little, if any, agricultural background. About Sukkot, it is true that both exist very clearly in the Torah. But about Shavuos, and this is our topic, right, Shavuos, only the agricultural aspect appears in the Torah itself. There is no historical background to Shavuos. Right? It may be true that it falls roughly around the same time. Right, but it doesn't say anywhere that Shavuos is meant to be meant to commemorate Matan Torah, and that's why there's really no qu- we cannot ask the question of how can Shavuos not be in the time of Matan Torah. We can't ask that as a question about Shavuos per se in the Torah because it doesn't say that Shavuos is meant to be Matan Torah. However, in Chazal, in Chazal um, portrays Shavuos as Matan Torah, both in the davening. Right, we know that davening was um, was created by the Anshe Knesset Hagodola and, uh, or some parts of it maybe a little bit later on, but still by Chazal, right? And in Davening, we say Zman Matan Also in other sources in Chazal, we find connections between Matan Torah and Shavuos. Uh, for example, the Kriyasa Torah, the fact that we read the Aserah Sedibros and Shavuos, is a reflection of that connection. So about that connection that we find in Chazal, specifically in Davening, that's what the Magan of asks as his question. The Magan of suggests two answers. And this you could look inside in source number one. I'm not going to read it inside, but you can follow, you can look inside if you want. The Magen of suggests two answers. The first answer he quotes in the name of a sefer called the Asarama Amarat, written by Rabbi Menachem Azariah Mipeano, a couple hundred years before the Magna of that appears here in the source as the Yudmem, Tereza Mem. The Yudmem is the Asarama Amorot. The Asarama Amorot suggests that this discrepancy of one day between Zman Matan Torah and the Shavuas, is a remes to Yom Tov Shei Goliath. Right, since, okay, <laughs> yes, it is. It is so, okay, I see I'm laughing here. Okay, it is uh, It is um, actually somewhat um, somewhat funny, because, you know, obviously, this answer is completely anachronistic. Uh, possibly, the Aserah moth was aware of the fact that it was anachronistic, and hence he used <laughs> the word remes. And he didn't say clearly that it's because of Yom Tov Shei but he said it's a remes to Yom Tov by right, al-pidrash or something like that. Since, you know, many hundreds of years later, after the time of Torah, right, there was going to be a time when the shluchim, the messengers, were not going to be able to reach distant countries, and therefore they wouldn't know when Rosh Chodesh was going to be, and therefore they would have to have two days of Yantif instead of one day of Yantif, right, that's why Shvus was established, or at least Chazal, you know, um, connected Shvus to Mat Torah a day after, um, or a day, sorry, a day before the day of Matan Torah, so that of Sheni Shulgaliyos will come out on the day which is on the day which is actually Matan Torah. Okay, obviously as a you know pshat oriented kind of answer, this answer is very difficult. For which reason the Magen abram himself moves on to suggest another answer, which is a bit better but still difficult. The second answer that the Magen Abram suggests is that the Magen abram says that in that same Gemara in Maseches Shabbos and Daf Zain, the Gemara says that there are three things that Moshe did of his, of his own initiative, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu agreed with him post-facto. One of those three things is that Moshe hosif yom What does it mean that Moshe hosif yom echad mida'ato? HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe, coming towards Harsinai, to prepare for the Harsinai, Hayomu hayom that You should prepare them, you should sanctify them, you should separate them towards, um, and to get ready towards Matan Torah, towards Mavet Har Sinai, today and tomorrow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says. And yet, subsequently, we find uh, later that they actually had to wait three days. That extra day that was added, says the Gemara, was a day that Moshe added of his own initiative, Moshe Hosif Yom Echad But HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepted it and agreed with it later on. Suggests the Magin Havram, right? since Moshe added one day of his own initiative, so really, when should Matan Torah have taken place had Moshe not added that day? A day before it actually took place, meaning not on the fifty-first day when it actually took place, according to the chronology in that same Gemara and Chazal, but actually it should have taken place on the fiftieth day. So according to that, Shavuos falls, which which is which the Torah determines should be on the fiftieth day. Shavuos is actually on the day when Matan Torah should have taken place had Moshe not added that extra day. Okay. So this certainly solves the the anachronism in the previous answer, which connected to Yom Tavshen Shil Goliath. This answer, at least, is connected to things which um, existed, or at least could have existed in the time when Shavuos was being uh, determined in the Torah. However, you know, it's still obviously difficult. Besides the fact that this additional day is not 100% clear in the Peshat of the Pesukim, more fundamentally... Why would was commemorate the day when Matan Torah was supposed to have taken place, rather than the day when it actually took, did take place? Right, just because there was a different plan, and it changed, you would still expect the day that's the, the festival on which we commemorate the event to be on the day when the event actually took place, and not when it was supposed to have taken place. So, it seems that we still remain with the difficulty. The, the simple answer, which could very well be the, the only answer in the in the the true answer to this question, is that, you know, as we mentioned before, in the Torah itself, Shvus is only mentioned in the agricultural context, right? The Yom HaKatzir, Yom HaBikurim, Chag HaKatzir, Yom HaBikurim, right? The Magian of Ram is assuming that Chazal have some sort of, you know, masorah, some sort of clear tradition, or there's a clear factual basis on the fact that, despite that, that, that doesn't appear in the Torah, shvuas is still factually Zman Matan toratenu, and that's why he's He's asking the question. But it is possible that the connection between Shavuot and Matan Torah is not only not mentioned in the Torah, but is really not a primary part of Shavuot at all. Possibly, Chazal decided for their own reasons, since Shavuot happens to be close to the time of Matan Torah, within a day of the time of Matan Torah, um, because of that, Chazal decided to add this additional layer of meaning to Shavuot. Really, the Torah only meant Shavuot to be about the agriculture, about the katsir, about the harvest. But Chazal, you know, possibly because society was moving away from the agricultural context or for other reasons, Chazal decided that it's important to have the time to commemorate Matin Torah and it's important to add, you know, additional layers of meaning to Shavuot. So they connected those two things despite the fact that it is not completely accurate in terms of the, of the calendar. But it's around the same time and therefore Chazal said we'll add this additional layer of meaning. One could say that there is a deraisa meaning of Shuas and there is a drabanan meaning of Shuas. The deraisa meaning is the, is the, is the, is the um, connection to the harvest, and the drabanan meaning is the meaning of the connection to Matantara. And in a Chinami, it's not really accurate from a, um, from a, you know, from a calendar, from an exact um, calculation point of view of when the day actually falls. But maybe we'll suggest an additional direction later on leaving that aside for now, that particular issue. Another issue is the Sfira. We've talked about shavuz itself. And leading up to shavuz, we have the mitzvah of sepira saomer, right? The Torah says, and we'll read it inside soon, the Torah says to count the days, from the time, from the day when we bring the omer, count the days, count 49 days, and then on the 50th day to have Shivas. What is the purpose of that counting? So from a p'sha point of view, one could understand that the sole purpose of the counting is to determine the time of Shavuos. Right? We need to know when Shavuos is. So the Torah says, how are you going to know? You should count. And in fact, we have other types of counting in the Torah where the purpose is clearly merely to calculate the end point. Right? One, one clear example is um, when the Torah talks about the halacha of nidah, more accurately of Zavah, but right, it says, She should count the seven days and then become Tahar. Right, and the Pashas is that there's no actual mitzvah for the woman to actually, you know, say, uh, you know, make a bracha and count, although there's a Tostos that discusses that option. Right, but the simple is that it just means that she needs to calculate when the seven days end and then she's Taharah. Another case which is closer to our example, and now we will, for the first time, actually open up a Tanakh. Take a look in Vayikra Perek Chaf it's not on the source sheet. Open up in the Tanakh. Vayikra Perak Chafhei. The first seven psukim of Vayikra parak Chafhei, chapter 25, the first seven verses, the first seven psukim, are about Shemitah. Right afterwards, Pasuk verse 8, Says the shanim, pe'amim, shana." You shall count seven weeks of years, seven years, seven times, and the the time period of those seven weeks of years comes out to forty nine years, and then afterwards comes the mitzvah of Yovel in the following psuke. the mitzvah of Yovel on the fiftieth year. Yeah, the similarity between these psukim and the psukim of Sviras Haomer, which we'll read inside in a moment. But the similarity is, of course, striking. Right? Not only is it the same structure of seven times seven followed by a fiftieth, with the minor with the difference of it being years rather than days, but even the wording is very similar. And let's take a look at that now. Let's go back to Vayikra Perak Chaf Gimel. That's going to be, of course, our main text that we're going to discuss and analyze um In this chair. So if you go back two chapters, two parakim, to chapter twenty-three, and you look at pasuk tetvav verse fifteen, usfartem lachem mi machorat haShabbat miyom haviyachem et omer haTenufa sheva Shabbatot t'mimot tiyena al mi machorat haShabbat haShviit is berucham shem yom etc. Okay. So here we have not only is the structure the same as I mentioned before, seven times seven followed by a fiftieth, but even the wording, the sheva Shabbatot, the seven weeks. Right, here, it's literally weeks. There, it's the sort of metaphorical weeks of years, right? Sets of seven years, and and also the word of the the verb that is the, that is the counting itself. Right there, we have besafarta lecha. Here we have Very very similar. So from a pshat point of view, one could have claimed that they're equivalent, that they are both merely calculations in order to reach the end point of when the fiftieth is going to come. However, la there is a very significant difference between the two. Okay, Regarding the first counting of 50, right? the second in the Torah, the first that we looked at, the one of counting up to the Yovel, right, Chazal say, mm-hmm. meaning the Beit Din Hagadol in Yerushalayim, mm-hmm. the ones who are responsible for determining the years and months in Kiddush HaChadosh and, and so on. Right, They are the ones who should calculate and should count. And subsequently determine when the yovel is. The sphira takes place only in the basin. As opposed to this, Chazal learned from Usfartem Lachem, Chazal learned from the fact that it is couched in the plural tense, not the tense, the plural form, Usfartem Lachem, smikanish she sephira echad v'echad. From here we learn that the mitzvah is that each individual must count. So clearly Chazal are telling us here that there is a difference between these two countings. Right, the former is merely to determine when the kedusha of Yobel is going to happen, and that's why the people responsible for that sphira are the Beit Din the, the ones who are in time in charge of determining kedusha sazman, the sanctity of time in general. But sferas haomer is a mitzvah on each and every individual to do the sfera. Clearly, then, Sa haomer is not merely in order to determine when Shavuos is going to happen, but has some sort of behavioral significance. Right, it is something which, is, which has weight, which has meaning because of which each individual needs to do it. And the question is, what is that meaning? What is that significance that can be attached to Svirata Omer? An action which seems to be fairly, fairly trivial. Right, You count. Day one, day two, day three. How could this be significant? What's the meaning? So the, I think the best known explanation, which I'm sure most of you have heard it one time or another, is explanation, it's actually uh, best known in the name of the Sefer HaChinuch, but before the Sefer HaChinuch, it was in the Rambam in Mare Nebuchim. Uh, by the way, you should mention that in general, many of the reasons that the Sefer HaChinuch gives for mitzvahs are based, some more loosely and some more directly, on the reasons that the Rambam gives for mitzvahs in Mare And The Rambam in Mare in the third part, has a series of chapters where he divides all of the mitzvahs into 14 categories, and he goes one by one through the categories, and explains the reasons for the different mitzvahs. And the Sefer HaChinoch Bases himself very heavily on those reasons in the Rambam. Not always, but but very often. Anyway, that was as, that as an aside. And in any case, in this particular case, it's certainly true that the same basic reason is given both by the Rambam and the Sefer Hachinuch, with some some minor differences, some nuances, but basically the same explanation. And now we'll read inside in source number two. Okay, and that's the explanation of the Rambam in and Mordechai. Says the Rambam in source number two, v'shavuot hu yomamatam Uleagdil This is the time of Matan Torah, and in order to uh, place emphasis on, or to create, to make greater that day, the day of Matan Torah, the day of the giving of the Torah. Nimnu hayamim min harishon elav. The days are counted from the first festival, meaning from Pesach up until it. Right? like like a person who is anticipated by the most loyal of his lovers. And, uh, who, who, in, who is counting the days and the hours, right? So the, the, um, the, an action of counting is an action which expresses anticipation, looking forward to something, and the hope, right? Uh, this is the reason for counting the Omer from the time that we came out of Mitrai, meaning from Pesach, until the day of Torah, until she was. Because it, namely Matan Torah, was the purpose and the goal of coming out of Mitzrayim. The purpose of Yitzayim Mitzrayim, says the Rambam, was Matan Torah, was Mamet Har Sinai. And in order to emphasize that goal, in order to place a stress and importance on that end point of Shavuot, of Matan Torah, that's where we have Zafiyah Saomer, uh, ends the Rambam, Keomro, V'avi etchem elai. At matantara Torah was an encounter with Ekelech HaRuch. says, I have brought you to me. Ekelech says, and that happens at, at Mamad Har Sinai. And like I said before, the Chinuch continues in the same vein, expands on it a bit. Again, slightly different nuances, but basically the same idea. Sfirah HaOmer is an expression of anticipation, which by expressing that anticipation we place an emphasis on Matan Torah, on Mamad Har Sinai, as the goal and purpose of Yitzhia's Mitzrayim. The problem with this explanation is what we mentioned before, which is that not only Shavuos, but also Sfirah HaOmer, in the context of the Pesukim, is clearly related to the agricultural aspect of Lichak. And let's read that inside now. Let's, we read the sphira itself, but let's read the context more fully. It's time we do that. Let's go back in Parak Gimel in chapter 23. Let's go back to the beginning of that little section. Let's go to Pasuk 10. Pasuk 9. Verse 9. When you come into Eretz Yisrael and you begin harvesting in the harvest season, you should bring the initial Omer of the harvest to the Kohen. And Omer is a particular quantity. So that first quantity, that first Omer of the harvest, you bring the first sheaves, the first um, harvested grain, to the Kohen. Okay, and what does the Kohen do with it? The Hanifet Omer Hashem He raises it or elevates it towards Hashem um, and so on. Then the Torah talks about exactly when it's done and other korbanos, sacrifices, that are brought together with it. Then in Pasuk Yudal, at verse 14, we have the Iser of Chadash. You're not allowed to partake of the new grain before of that season before actually bringing the Omer. And then in Pasuk Tadvav, verse 15, we have the mitzvah of the Sfira, of the counting, which we talked about. Right after the mitzvah of the counting, what happens at the end of the counting, Pasuk Tadzain, verse 16, you count until after the seventh week, count 50 days, what do you do at the end of the 50 days? You bring a new sacrifice, a a new gift, a new offering to Hashem. And what is that? You bring two loaves of bread, solat tiena made from flour, chametz right, te'athena, they're leavened. Bikurim laHashem right, and the word Bikurim means again, the the first fruit. It's sometimes translated right, the the best and first of of this harvest, which is of course the later harvest. Um, the the Pesach time is the time when you have the initial ripening of the first grains, which is barley. Shavuot time, fifty days later, is when you have a fuller. Ripening, and, well, you know, the culmination of the harvest of of wheat, um, which is considered the you know, the higher, the more um, the higher quality uh, grain, as opposed to barley, which is given often to animals, right? So, so this time period, this time period of the harvest, has at, at its beginning the Omer, which is the Reshit, and at its end it has the Shtehalechem, which is the Bikurim, right? and in between you have the Omer. So clearly, the Omer must be connecting the the, the, the counting of the Omer, the sphere must be connecting the of Omer to the carbon of Shtehalech, and these two sacrifices, both of which have to do with the harvest. The initial harvest and the culmination of the harvest, the, the Reshit ktirchem and the Bikurim of the Ketir. And therefore it is very, very difficult to understand how the Rambam could ask us to, to believe that the reason for this Mitzvah has to do with the connection between Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim and Mamad Har Sinai. Right. there's no mention of Ityas Mitzrayim, no mention of Mamad Harsina or Matan Torah. All there is are the two endpoints of the harvest period. Between the the part of the Omer, the Proptes, It's like one partial together. Yes, it's all one parsha. There's 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 continuity between these between these things. Right, and therefore, it's difficult. So therefore, clearly, the Sphira has to do with everything that's before and after. Are you seeing relative to Pesach even? Yeah. The previous thing. There is a Ptucha. Right? I don't know what Tanakh you're using, but there is a Ptucha between the two. And more important, there's the V'ydaber Hashem el-Moshe Le-Mor. After the Parsha of Pesach, which was verses 4 to 8, there's a new Dibur, V'ydaber Hashem el-Moshe le In my Tanakh there is. I have a broyer in front of me, so... Um, but more important, there's the dun Dibor. It's, a new, it's a new Dibor of Hashem to Moshe, so that clearly separates it. Um, so, so the question is, first of all, how can the Rambam suggest that this is the answer? Uh, what makes this question even more difficult is that the Rambam tells us very clearly in Moron that his purpose in the whole series of chapters in that third part of Moron is to bring reasons for the mitzvahs according to Pshat. The context in which the Rambam says this is in um, is in uh, the mitzvah uh, the, or the the pasuk that talks about ein tachat ein, nefesh tachat nefesh, and so on. So, right, so the Rambam says that the reason for this is the principle of midah keneg midah, the principle of, um, of that the punishment should fit the crime. Right. That's why the Torah says ein tachat ein, shein tachat shein, and so on. And then the Rambam says, and don't ask me from the fact that la we actually. Take mammon. We have a monetary payment rather than doing actually doing ain Takat ain and chain chain. Don't ask me for that, says the Ramam, because our purpose here is to give reasons for the psukim, not reasons for the halacha. Okay, so that's a whole maybe share in of itself why the Ramam thought that that was something meaningful. But the fact is that the Ramam sees the reasons that he gives in Marnevuchim in the third chapter, third section, as being reasons for the pshar of the psukim. And the Ramam must have read the psukim the way we read them and known that the mitzvah of Sfirah HaOmer is clearly connected to the to its agricultural context. So why is he giving a reason that is connected to the historical context? To add to that, the Rambam in Mishnah Torah, when he talks about the halachas of the mitzvah of Sfirah HaOmer, where does he bring it? He brings it not in Sefer Zmanim, which you might, which you might think, it has to do with all the different festivals, but rather in Sefer Avoda, which is all about the of the Karbanos, about sacrifices. He brings it in Chachotmi Din Musafin, in the chapter that talks about the Karban Omer. The first part of the chapter is about the Karban Omer, and the, the end of the chapter is about the mitzvah of Sphiras Omer. So clearly the Rambam was very much aware of the connection between Sphiras Omer and the Karban Omer. Right? And yet, in Murad Avulchim, he tells us that the reason for the sphere is to connect the Tsiyasmi tribe to mat and Torah. So it's a question on the Rambam, and even if we're willing to say, put the Rambam aside and say, okay, Let's you know suggest our own answers, but still, so what then is the meaning of the sphira that could be connected to the Omer and should dictate this kind of mitzvah? So as we said in terms of Pshat, the Omer and the Sviras Omer and Shvuas all seem to be very much connected to the agricultural background of the of the Chag and of these time of these mitzvahs. Despite that, there is one phenomenon that we find in the Psukim themselves, themselves that seem to hint at a connection to the historical background of Shavuos. If you take a look at the Karbanas, the sacrifices that are meant to be brought in Shivas, still in Vayakra Perakh Gimel, let's read from Pasuk, Yudchet, verse 18. The Torah says al you should sacrifice or you should offer together with the bread, with the two loaves of bread that were mentioned in the previous Pasok. Shivat right, bakar There's a group of animals that are meant to be brought as carbon ola. Right, there is a goat that is brought as a chatat, as a um and two, sheep, a year-old sheep, as a Shlamim. Now, this Korban Shlamim is very unique. Okay, if you look in Ezehu um, Mekoman, uh, the fifth, Mishnayas, in the fifth chapter of Zvachim, which many people have the minhag to say in the morning before Shachres, the chapter which lists all the different kinds of Korbanos, or rather all the kinds of Korbanos that are from animal sources. Okay, And there's chatas, and there's ola, and there's asham, and there's shalmei yachid. And then there's zivchei shalmei tzibur. Zivchei shalmei tzibur, the shlamim that is brought by the community, by Am Yisrael. We always have the distinction between korban yachid and a korban tzibur. And here we have the shlamim of the tzibur. And what is the shlamim of the tzibur? It sounds like a category, but it refers solely to this particular korban brought on shavuas. The only instance of a shlamim of a tzibur in halacha is these two sheep that are brought on Shavuos together with these Halecha. Now, while that's true, that its korban is unique in halacha, it is not unique in the Torah. There are two additional instances of a shlamim brought by Am Yisrael that as as uh, events that took place one time, not part of halacha, not part of mitzvahs, um for future generations, but that took place as one time events. One case. One case, and this is uh, referred to in source number six. Okay, but it's in, the, but you can open it in the Tanakh. All of these sources that are in Tanakh, I did not actually quote on the source sheet, but I just referred to them so you can keep track. It's Shmuel's Parak Chavdalid, okay, chapter twenty-four. Okay, starting from, let's start from Pasuk Gimel, verse three. This is happening, a Peep happening after. Mamat Har Sinai. mishpatim. Moshe came and he related to the people everything that Hashem had said and all of the mishpatim, presumably referring to the uh, of the Sefer and everything that was said after Sefer which includes the mishpatim. And The people all answered and said, "We will do what Hashem, what Hashem said." Hashem and Moshe wrote it down. All these things that Hashem had said, all of these mitzvahs, and he woke up in the morning and he built an altar, a mitzvah, and twelve stones, twelve matziv. And he sent the youths, or the servants, how you want everyone to translate it, of bn Israel, Shlamim but Moshe sent them to bring two kinds of korbanos, two kinds of sacrifices, olot and shlamim. These shlamim, of course, were brought by these Reib Nei Israel, not on their own behalf, but on the behalf of Am Yisrael. So here, too, we have a shalmei tzibor. And then the psukim go on to describe how Moshe took the blood from these korbanos, from these sacrifices, and used that blood as part of the consecration of the covenant of the Brit between HaKadosh Baruch and Am Israel, the Brit Sinai. This is what we refer to as Brit Ha'aganot. Okay, so here we have Shalmay Tzibor at Harsinai. Right after Mohammed Har Harsinai is part of the Brit of um, the mitzvahs that were given at Harsinai. That's one case where we have a Shalmay Tzibor. Another case where we have a Shalmay Tzibor, referred to on the sheet as source number 7, is in Vayikra Perakte. The Ekre Tet tells the story of the eighth day of the Miluim, after the Mishkan was completed. And then you have the seven days of Miluim, the seven days during which the Mishkan was consecrated. You then had the eighth day after the Mishkan was consecrated. The function of the eighth day was a sort of as a kind of uh, inauguration, I guess you would say, of the Mishkan. It was also the time when the Shekhinah is described as being revealed. And in the Mishkan. Let's take a look at Pasuk Gimel. Pasuk Gimel is the middle where Hashem is speaking to Aaron. Or Moshe is speaking to Aaron, sorry. And he says to Aaron, speak to Bnei Israel and tell them, take a goat as a chatas, other animals as an olah. lishlamim.' Okay. once again we have which are clearly being brought on behalf of the Tzibor, of the entire community. Why? Because today, Hashem will reveal himself to you. Okay? So we have Shalmei Tzibor at Har Sinai. We have Shalmei Tzibor on the Yom Hashemini Lemiloim. What is the common denominator of Har Sinai and the Yom Hashemini Lemiloim? I think it's very clear. These are both events of Gilo Yishchina, right? They're both times of revelation after the revelation at Harsinai, and coming towards the revelation on the eighth day of the Miloim in the Mishkan, where we have Hashem nir'a Alechem, and it's described in more detail further on in that chapter, both of these occasions we have Shalmei Tzibur. So if that's the case, it seems that Shalmei Tzibur are connected to the idea of revelation. So if that's true, then the shlam, Shalmei Tzibur that we have on Shavuos would seem to be some sort of hint that Shavuos is, after all, Zman Matan Torah, so, the aspect, the historical aspect of Shwas, which we kind of, you know, glibly discounted and said, okay, really, I'll peep shout, it's only about the agriculture, it's not about the history at all, it's not so simple. We do have something here that's hinting to the historical aspect of Shavuot. We have these Shalmei Sibor, which seem in the Torah to be connected to events of Giloy So what's going on here? If it is connected to Giloy why doesn't the Torah mention it? Why does the Torah only talk explicitly about the agriculture, about the harvest? And if it isn't, why do we have the Shalmei Tzibur? So we have this whole set of questions having to do with the relationship between the agricultural and historical aspects of what's going on here. A reading the Psukim it seems like it's all about the harvest. But we have the Sfir Saomer, which seems to be explained easily, as the Rambam does, by connecting it to ETS, Mishraim, and Matan We have the Shalmei Tzibur, which seems to be connected to Matan Torah. So what's going on? What's going on with this whole picture here? Leaving the problems aside, let's talk about the Omer itself. We talked about Shavuos, then we talked about Sfirah HaOmer, moving back, continuing to move back, let's go back to the Korban HaOmer itself. Let's focus again on the Pesukim that talk about the Omer itself. Going back to Vayikra Perik Chaf Gimel, starting from Pasuk Tet once again, now viewing it not just as a background to Sfirah's Omer, to the counting, but focus on the Omer itself. What is done, what is actually done with the Omer? So the Torah says again, You bring the Omer of the initial harvest to the Kohen. What then does the Kohen do with the Omer? Let's read carefully. The the Kohen should should wave or elevate or raise or lift this omer towards Hashem, meaning towards the Mishkan, right, to to bring some Ratsan to create some sort of uh, um, I don't know how to translate Ratsan, create a, a positive relationship of towards B'nei Israel because they're doing the mitzvahs properly. It should happen after the Shabbat, whatever it means, not go into that. On the day when you lift or raise the omer, you should also do a keves tamin la hashem. You should bring a sheep as an Ola, And it has a mincha which comes together with it. Then you should bring flour, a uh, flower offering, and a wine offering together with these uh, with this sheep as an olah. And that's it. So we have the Omer itself is elevated. Together with the Omer, we bring a sheep as an olah. But is the Omer itself a karban? Is it sacrificed? doesn't say anything here about sacrificing the Omer. Okay? It does refer to it, if you continue in the next pasuk when it talks about the Isur of Chadash, the, the prohibition against eating from the, new, from the new grain of that season, it says, Until the day when you bring the sacrifice to your God. Right? And what is that sacrifice? Maybe it's the Omer, maybe it's the sheep brought together with it. Either way, it's clear from the Psukim that the Omer itself is not actually sacrificed on the Mizveh, on the altar. It is only waved. Now, if you open up in the Mishnah in the sixth parak of Menachos, which talks about the Omer, you'll see a completely different picture. The description of what's done with the Omer is very much like standard Menachot. Right? It's mixed with the, uh, with the oil, and, and, and uh, first of all, it's, it's ground up, which it isn't ground up, in the psukim that we just read, it's ground up. After it's ground up, it's made into a flour, it's sifted, and then you take the flour, and you mix it with the oil, and then you do a k'mitzah, the kawain takes a handful, and he burns that kometz on the Mizvach, on the altar, and the rest of it is eaten by the Kohanim, just like the standard Halakhos of a Korban Mincha. But none of that is mentioned here. So where did Chazal get it from? If you take a look at source number 8. Okay, source number 8 is a Gemara in Menachos, which quotes hakatuv medaber. <laughs> Chazal here are quoting a Pasuk not from Vayikra Perik Chaf Gimel, Which talks about the Omer explicitly, but from Vayikra Perek Bet, which is the parak that discusses carbon mincha in general, and there's a whole list of different kinds of carbon mincha, and it keeps on. It has a fixed pattern there, right? Ve'im minchat marcheset, ve'im minchat tanur. But you have different options of what kinds of carbon mincha you can bring, and according to the option that you choose, there are different halachas, different details. And then the last one in that list of carbon mincha. It says Viim Takriv Minchat Bikurim and if you bring a Minchas bikurim, if you decided to bring a mincha of bikurim, bikurim meaning again that idea of a first fruit, right the right the best and first of some sort of harvester fruit. And a pipshat, it is something completely optional. But Chazal learned from there that it is not optional, it is a chovah, even though the other vi'ems in that same parak are optional. And not only is a chovah, is it a chovah that it is identical to the omr. And Chazal take these two parshas, Vayikra Perakbet, Bet, the Minchat Bikurim, and the Omer in Vayikra Perek Chaf Gimel, and Chazal put them together and say, these are one and the same. So when we actually bring the Omer on the 16th of Nisan, we have to follow the details that appear in Vayikra Perek Chaf Gimel, and that's why you do Tnufa, where you elevate it, and you also have to follow the details in Perek Bet, and that's why you have to do the Tchina, and the Tchina, and the Blila B'Shemen, and the Kmitzah, and the Hakdara, and so on. Treat it like a regular carbon mincha. So Chazal put these two things together, but Al-Pipshat, these are two completely different things. So without getting into the discussion of why Chazal saw fit to say that we should, practically speaking, we should be Mikhaim and we should fulfill both of these mitzvahs in the same action, in the same actual Omer, but I think it's clear that in terms of understanding the idea and the meaning and the reason, we need to treat each parsha separately and read it in its own context on its own grounds. There's something that dictates that one should elevate an omer without actually sacrificing it. There's something else that talks about a sacrifice and practically speaking, the halacha determined that these two things come together. But in understanding the psukim of Vayikra Perak chaf, gemel, as a literary unit coming and giving mitzvahs, we need to understand that on its own grounds, what does it mean that we should take the omer, the initial harvest, um, the omer, and elevate it before Hashem, but not actually sacrifice it? So to understand that, we need to understand what tsnufa in general is. Right? Why do we elevate things? We take these things and then we pick them up, we raise them in the Mishkan, right, before Hashem or towards the Mishkan. What does tsnufa mean in general? So you know, obviously we're not going to look through all the cases of tnufa in the Torah now. We'll look at a couple of examples. But tra- tra- tracking the appearances of Tznufa in the Torah in general, I think leads to the conclusion that a Tznufa is sort of a symbolic offering. Right? Sometimes we have actual offering. Actual offering is burning something on the Mizvach, on the altar. And then we have a symbolic offering, right, where we sort of raise something and kind of begin the movement of handing it and moving it towards the Mishkan, towards the Kadosh But we don't complete that action, we don't actually bring it as a carbon. In some cases, it seems that there is a technical reason why the thing in question can't actually be sacrificed, something which conceptually should be sacrificed but can't actually be sacrificed. We'll see a couple of examples soon. In some of the cases, the thing which is being symbolically offered is being raised together with things which are actually offered, which are actually sacrificed, to show that these things belong together conceptually. This sounds maybe a little bit abstract. Let's abstract. Let's take a look at a couple of examples. For the first example, let's take a look at Bemidbar <coughs> Parakhet. Excuse me, one moment. In B'midver Perek Chet starting from Pasuk from verse 5 we have the dedication of the Levim. There's more than one chapter that has dedications of Levim but in this particular chapter of Dedicating the Levim um, let's take a look at Pasuk Yud, verse 10, You should bring the Levim near towards Hashem, I mean towards the Mishkan. And this is a verb, this vikavta is the verb that is often used with Karbanot. In fact, the word Karbanot comes from this root. Vikavta et Levim לפne Hashem. V'samchu v'nei Yisrael et yedihem al halvim. V'nei Yisrael should do. S'micha, they should lean their hands in some way over the Levim. But the series of verbs here is very reminiscent of Korbanos. Right? These are all verbs that we associate with Korbanos, with sacrifices. The Levim are being in some sense sacrificed or dedicated or offered to HaKadosh Hashem. They are being sanctified or dedicated to be the ones from B'nei Israel who will do the work in the Mishkan. So here we have a case where there's conceptually some sort of sacrifice. And yet, obviously, we can't actually sacrifice them on the Mizbech, right? We don't believe in human sacrifice. That's a big no-no, right? So since they should be sacrificed, but they can't actually be sacrificed, that's why we have the Tznufa. The Tznufa is saying, here, we are sacrificing, but not actually sacrificing. Um, Another example, let's take a look at Vayikra Perek Yuddalid. meant to be referred to from the source sheet in source number 10, but there's a mistake in the source sheet. It says Yud should actually be Yud Dalid. Vayikra <coughs> Perk Pasuk Yud. It's talking here about the Metzorah, about the leper. On the eighth day of his purification process, Vayom <coughs> Hashmini. Right? The Mitzorah, the leper has to bring several animals and some flour for a mincha and a log shemen in a container with a certain quantity of oil. Right? The, the Mitzorah himself, together with all these things that he brought, need to stand in front of Hashem near the entrance way to Olmoy, to the Mishkan. And then what is actually done with these things, the coin takes the sheep, and that is brought as, and is brought as the sheep together with the Shemen are elevated or waved before, before Hashem. Why? I think once again the reason is clear. The Keves can be actually sacrificed but the Shemen cannot be sacrificed. Why? Because it's needed later on to be put on the extremities of the Mitzorah. So the Log Shemen is meant to be conceptually sacrificed to Hashem, but cannot be because it needs to be actually used and applied <coughs> excuse me, applied to the Mitzorah. And for that reason, instead of an actual sacrifice, we have Tzinovah. One final example, much closer to our main discussion is the Alechem Right here in our Parak in Vyikar Gimel, not the Omer at the beginning of the fifty days, but the Alechem at the end of the fifty days, the Torah says in Pasuk Yudzain Mimoshvatichem tnufash should bring Perakh Gimel. Vayikra Perak right? Our own original Perak about that's all about the Omer and the Sphir's Omer and the Enschwas. So when it gets to the sh'te lechem in Pasuk Yudzai verse 17, lechem t'nufa. The lechem is called a lechem t'nufa, a lechem that you wave, that you elevate. Right here, once again, it's very clear why, on the one hand, it should be sacrificed because it is a korban, it is what is meant to be brought on Shuas, but also why, clearly, it cannot actually be burnt on the zizbech. The reason is that the Torah in Parshash Vayikra says, um, this is in Perek. Bet Pasuk Aleph, and you could read it inside if you want, I'm not going to read it inside, that it is prohibited to bring any kind of chametz on the Mizbech. So this is something which the Torah would want us to bring as an offering, but there's this rule that says no chametz on the Mizbech, and that is why we only do a tznufah. <clears throat> okay, so we've established that a tznufah is a symbolic offering. Okay, Getting back to our issue, the issue of the Omer. Why is the Omer... Why do we have a t'nufa, but not an actual hakrava? according to v'yir k'pere It can't be the same kind of reasons as we've seen in the other examples. Right? Or rather, the fact that it should be brought conceptually may be the same, but the fact that, practically speaking, it is not actually brought cannot be the same. Right? In the other cases that we saw, this is because there's some sort of technical reason why you cannot actually burn it on the mizmech. In this case, that cannot be the reason. How do I know this? Because the fact is that lahalacha we do actually sacrifice the omer on the Mizbech. So it must be that there's no specific prohibition against bringing the Omer on the Mizbech. And yet the Torah tells us in Vayikra Perk Gimel to only do a Tznufa and there's no need for an actual sacrifice. And to explain this, I would like to make a suggestion. And what I'd like to suggest is that the Omer and the shtehalechem together make up two ends of one process. And the reason that the Omer is not actually brought as a sacrifice in Vekaparaf Gimel is because the sacrifice is going to be brought at the end of the process in the The Istehalechem itself is not also not actually sacrificed either, for the reasons we said before. But really, it's one long process where the sacrifice is focused at the end. The Omer is sort of starting out the process, but not finishing it. And the sphere is what connects these two ends. And to understand this on a deeper level, I compare it to the bracha that we make before we eat and the bracha that we make after we eat. Now, after we eat, we have the mitzvah in the Torah, the we have the mitzvah of benching. And how do we fulfill the mitzvah of benching? We have this you know, full-blown, lengthy bracha consisting of four different brachas, four long brachas, where we have full praise and thanksgiving to a Baruch Hu for everything that we've received for Him, including the meal that we've just eaten. Before we eat, what do we do? We make a very short bracha, right? Baruch min Hashem, or whatever the bracha is. right? Why don't we make this fuller, you know, praise and thanksgiving to HaKadosh Baruch before we eat? The answer is simple, because we have not yet experienced what HaKadosh Bracha has is given to us. Why then do we make a bracha at all? So Chazal say the Gemara and brachas, it's a Drabadan, of course. Chazal say the Gemara and brachas, Asur lo la'adam sheyane min a person may not partake from this world, benefit from this world, without first blessing God. The purpose of that bracha is not to thank Hashem or to praise Hashem. It is to recognize where this food is coming from. It is a mitzvah of, of recognition, of affirmation, not of praise and thanks. And that needs to come beforehand. I would argue that the Omer is exactly the same thing. The Omer says, before you partake from the harvest... Right? and this is the reason for the Isser of Chadash, you may not eat anything from the new season, from the new harvest, until you first express your recognition of the fact, and your affirmation of the fact that this is coming from a Baruch Hu. You cannot yet praise and thank Hashem for the harvest, because the harvest has not yet been fulfilled. You're just getting started. But before you get started, you need to express your recognition of where it's coming from. That is the Omer. And that is why you do this Tznufa, this waving, this elevation, this symbolic offering, saying, here I am giving to you to express my recognition of the fact that you deserve all of this. It came from you, after all. But not yet doing the full karban, the full bracha, the full karban, which I will do at the end of 50 days at the culmination of the harvest. Let's take a look for a moment at Yirmiel Perakhe. Pasuk Chaf Gimel, referenced in source number 12. This pasuk is actually quoted by the Sforno in the context of the Omer, the Svarno is in source thirteen. I think I am not going to read it. We're running out of time, but the pasuk itself, which Svarno quotes, we should look at. It's the year Perek Hey, pasuk Chaf Gimel, Chaf Dalid. Right, sounding <starting> from pasuk Chaf <laughs> Gimel, Right, these people had a, a wayward, um, rebellious heart, uh, and, they, and they were leaving. They were leaving God. And they did not say in their hearts, Nirana et Hashem Elokeinu, let us fear God and obey Him. Hanoten Geshem al who gives us rain at its time, at the time when it's needed. Shavuot Chukot Katsir yishmor lano. Right, for weeks he he keeps and saves and protects the harvest for us. Okay, what is expected from Bnei Israel to say? It is expected from Bnei Israel to say, to, to recognize and to appreciate the fact that a who protects the harvest. They harvest over the period of weeks of these Shavuot. Clearly referring to the period of seven weeks, which is the period of harvest, during which, it seems, the harvest needs protection. Right, for the farmer in Eretz right in the time of the Torah, this, this period from the initial ripening of the barley, starting out around Pesach time, all the way for the next seven weeks until the harvest is completely finished at Shavuot's time, and the ripening is completely finished, so is a time of great um, trepidation and fear. These are times when pestilence could strike, when the weather could be, um, could be negative, and when the, the, when, the har- when the harvest really could not succeed. Right? It's beginning. He's beginning to get the first initial harvest. It's just starting to ripen. But he doesn't really have everything, and a lot could go wrong during this time. And during this time of trepidation, this time of fear, it's, it must be recognized that, it's, that the farmer needs to recognize that he's dependent upon this shmirah, this protection of the a- Baruch the Gemara in Rosh says, "Amara Kadosh Baruch Hu, this is the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Hashanah Ted Zayin, Amod Aleph, Amara Kadosh Baruch Hu, Haviu lefanai Omer bepesach, k'dey shetitbarek lachem t'vua shebasadot. Bring the Omer so that you will have a blessing in the fields. Right? The Omer, as we said before, is this affirmation and recognition of the fact that it's coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I would suggest that the Sefira is a continuance of that same affirmation. We continue counting from the Omer to say that this recognition, this expression of faith, that whatever I get is from HaKadosh Barucho, is, I'm continuing with it. And I'm hoping, I, the farmer, I'm hoping that because of this recognition and affirmation, that HaKadosh Barucho will in fact protect the harvest for me, and I will reach that 50th day in such a way that I can complete the harvest. And I will be able to then actually thank and praise Hashem for the culmination of the harvest. So, the movement from the Omer to the Shtalach through the Sphirah is a movement from, on um, the one, trepidation and fear, but also faith and affirmation of recognition of God's hand in the harvest, to a place of, of experience and of, of fulfillment, which will happen on the 50th day. And, and that experience and fulfillment that can come at the end of the 50th day can possibly be seen as a kind of revelation. Right? At the end, at the, on the 50th day when the harvest is completed, this protection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the fields is something that the farmer has been hoping for and praying for and now also experiencing. The farmer sees the Yad Hashem in his fields. And we said before, why are there Shalmei Tzibor? But I would argue that is not doesn't, ha- doesn't have to be specifically on the kind of revelation which is with thunder and lightning like we had at Har Sinai, or with the fire coming out of the Mishkan like we had in the Yom HaShem'ni Lem Shlamim comes when a person feels that he can sit with a Kedosh Baruch Hu Kedvachal, at one table and divide up the meal with him. The shlamim is a zevach, it's a meal that we eat together. Part goes to the owner, that's the, the flesh of the, of the karbon, the The rest of it goes to the Mizmech, right, as Rashi says, you know, everybody is together, right, this shalem, because the Kedosh Baruch Hu gets some, and the Kohanim gets some, and the, and the person himself gets some. The feeling of closeness, the experience of closeness that we have at a time of revelation is what can indicate a Shalm Tibor, and also the kind of closeness that happens when a farmer in his fields sees that the protection that he has been expecting and hoping for has finally come to fruition, and has come to fruition and built, been fulfilled, and he can now actually see and experience this connection with HaKadosh Barucho. That's why we have a Shalmei tibur, and that's how we can understand the mitzvah of Sefira. Moving on, moving back, to the historical aspect, okay, we said the Rambam told us that the connection between the Almer and the Shtealechem through the Sphira is because of the connection between Yitzias Mitzrayim and Matan Torah. Let's examine that connection a little bit, and let's take a look for that at source number fourteen, Shmos Parakvav. Shmos from Pasuk Gimel onwards, verse three, chapter six, verse three, is where Akedas lays out the plan for Yitzhias Mitzrayim. Okay, and it starts out with the motivations for Yitzhias Mitzrayim that Akedas has heard the plight of Am Yisrael and also because of the promise to the fathers. And then from Pasuk Vav, right? Perek Vav, Pasuk Vav, chapter six, verse six, Akedas says what's going to actually happen. I will take you out from under the travails of Egypt. And I will save you from their work, from their slavery. And I will redeem you with my, with my great hand and with all of the Imakos that are going to come. And I will take you to be my people and I will be for you a God. And you will then know that I am God, that I, Hashem, am your God. Who took you out from under the, the travails of Egypt? When did these things actually take place? So the first few things, what we call the Arbala Shanot Geula, or at least the first three of them, right? the Vihitzalti, the Gaalti, those are things, well, the things that are mentioned, the Hotseiti, the Vav, those are things that describe Yitzhias Mitzrayim itself. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. When does that take place? I would argue that that takes place not at Eties mitraim, but later on towards Mamad Arsinai. Towards Mamad Arsinai, says to Moshe, Tell B'nai Israel that you have a choice. What is your choice? If you obey me, and you keep my covenant, you will be a special nation to me. Right? That is when they become Hashem's Am. And then. Bnei Israel accept the agreement. They expect, they accept the covenant. And Akasharuch says, "Okay, since you have accepted, now in fact you need to become my people. How is that going to happen? Collect everybody after three days, and I will speak to the people. And what's the very first thing that Yisraelu says to them? That is the fulfillment of what we just read. Hashem becomes your God and announces Himself as such, as your God who you are aware of and you have the experience of knowing that He took you out of Mitzrayim. This is a relationship which is founded upon ETS Mitzrayim, but realized only at Mamad Harsina. Okay, And the Ramam discusses this in more detail in source 16, which I'm not going to read now. But the idea is that the process going from Yitzhia's Mitzrayim to Matan Torah is very similar to the process from the Omer to the Seteh the process of going from a time of, of doubt and faith, following the Amishra had to follow Moshe Rabbeinu, follow Akadosh into the desert, leaving Mitzrayim, right? and feeling they're being saved, but also worrying about what's going to happen, and the Rambam discusses how they weren't even 100% sure that Moshe had really been sent by Hashem, because they hadn't yet experienced the revelation, right? that still, they still had speckot, they still had doubts. And finally coming to Mamet Har Sinai where they will then be they will then know that Hashem is their Elohim. Until then they didn't know that Hashem was going to be their Elohim. They may have hoped for it, they expected it, but they didn't yet know. It is only once they come to Har Sinai that they have this And maybe that's the reason why the Rambam in Maranavulchim gave a reason that was connected for the Omer or for Sfirah Sama that was connected to the historical aspect. Because the Rambam understood that the historical aspect and the agricultural aspect are parallel and intertwined. It is a similar kind of process, starting from faith and affirmation, you know, acceptance, and moving towards experience and revelation. I would even suggest more than that in the few minutes that we have left. Let's take a look for, our, for the final point. Let's take a look at the Pasuk. I'll tell you which Pasuk in a moment. Let's take a look at Shmos, Perik, Yud, Gimel, Pasuk, Dalet. Right after Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Chapter 13. Verse 4. Says Moshe to B'nai Hayom atem yotzim, Shmoz Perek gemul Pasuk Hayom atem yotzim b'chodesh ha'aviv. Today you are leaving in the month of the Aviv. Right? In modern Hebrew we use the word Aviv to mean spring, a particular season, a particular part of the year. But in the Torah... The word aviv is a particular stage of the ripening. Right? It is what the stage that happens at the time of Pesach, which Rashi says a little bit differently, but presumably seems to mean the initial ripening, when the barley is beginning to ripen. You are coming out of Mitzrayim in that month, when the grain is beginning to ripen. Right? Why does Moshe emphasize that it's, it's Yitzhiah yes, time is taking place at that point in time? And that idea is repeated. Let's take a look at Dvarim for our last source. Devarim Perak Ted Zayin, chapter 16, Pasuk Aleph, says the Torah, Sh'mor et chodesh ha'aviv v'asit Pesach al Hashem melokecha. Ki beChodesh ha'aviv utziach ha'ashom melokecha mitzrayim u'layla. Right? Keep the month of the aviv, because that is when Hashem took you out of mitzrayim. It's a very odd way of putting the mitzvah of Pesach. Instead of talking about the date, or starting out Yetzias Mitzrayim, it focuses on the fact that it is the month of the Aviv. Why focus on the Aviv? On this stage of the ripening of the barley. And I would suggest, and maybe it's a bit speculative, but I think it might be true, that the reason that Yetzias Mitzrayim and Matan Tower Torah were all planned for this time of year, for the time of year going from Nisan until Sivan, from the first until the third month, is because these months have that meaning, which will only be experienced more fully later on in Eretz Yisrael, but these associations of this time period as being a time period of fear and trepidation about the harvest leading up to finally the experience and the fulfillment 50 days later, those were qualities which were associated with this time period already. then. this, says, Yitzhia Mishraim needs to take place at the time of Aviv, at the time when when things are starting to come, good things are happening, Right, the, the harvest is, is starting to become enabled, the barley is ripening, but there's still fear and trepidation about what's going to happen. Because there needs to be an expression of faith of following of Amishal following Moshe and following Hakadosh Baruch Hu into the Eretz Lozruah, and only after a time, after fifty days, having this fulfillment and this revelation at Mamad Har Sinai. So it is not that Shavuos was determined because of the Omer and Torah, but the other way around. But the time of Pesach and the time of Matan Torah were determined because of what makes Shavuos be at that time, because of the agricultural significance that those times already and naturally had. Now, according to that, we can understand the second answer that we brought earlier at the beginning of the year from the Magan of Ram. The Magan of Ram said, how can we say Zman Matan if it's a day off? Said the Magan of Ram because it's not the day when Matan Torah actually took place, but it's the day when Matan Torah was supposed to take place had Moshe not added the day. And we said, that's ridiculous. Why should it be on the day that Matan Torah was supposed to happen? Why commemorate the wrong day? But now, maybe it makes sense. Because Shavuos is not commemorating Matan Torah, but the other way around. Matan Torah was scheduled for the day that it made, would make sense later on to have Shavuos. And that's why it was scheduled to be that day. Later on, Moshe added a day. And that's why, why Matan Torah is put off a day. But Shavuos is still on the day, which is the culmination of the harvest, on the 50th day.